The following episode of Cat Sounds contains violent and graphic imagery which may be disturbing and or traumatic to some listeners. If you are triggered by such content, it is recommended that you stop the podcast here and instead go play with a cat. Welcome back to the Cat Sounds Podcast. I'm Brian McCauley, a professional corporation. How are you? How are you? Me? How am I? Well, oh, losing my mind a little bit as we get just a bit nearer to this election. But at least you can put a date on that, which is November 3rd. Election Day is November 3rd, in case you've entirely managed to avoid hearing that up until this point and you're learning it right now for the first time on the cat sounds podcast uh you know maybe the more pressing issue is the continued disruption of society around the coronavirus pandemic maybe that is uh a a little bit more what is making me lose my mind and when will that end So far, no conclusion in sight. Uh, So let's do a little something to take our minds off of it. On an installment of Brian's Hollywood News. Okay, showbiz news. Showbiz news is what I usually call it. Uh, This is a news item that didn't break this week. It's from last month. But I had some thoughts about it at the time. And those thoughts have finally crystallized adequately to share with you on the cat sounds podcast so here's the headline it's from variety one of the trades soon to be the only trade but here it is tiktok star addison ray cast in she's all that remake exclusive the word exclusive is in parentheses and capitalized they mean business now i should tell you this news broke on september 11th a.k.a. 9-11, a.k.a. a day that will leave in infamy. So basically, the producers of this questionable remake also dishonored the lives of nearly 3,000 deceased Americans by drawing a heart on the calendar around this particular day to plan their press release. Uh, 9-11 was a terrorist attack that occurred on September 11, 2001, in case you're just hearing of it now for the first time on the Cat Sounds podcast. But anyway, surely some people who died on 9-11 had seen Cheese All That, and you wonder if they would think this remake should be made. But anyway, let's take a listen to some of Variety's reporting on this remake. TikTok star Addison Ray Easterling has been cast in the upcoming remake of the 1999 teen comedy She's All That. The gender-swapped reboot, titled He's All That, has been in the works for years and recently started to gain traction again. Mark Waters, the filmmaker behind Mean Girls and Freaky Friday, is set to direct. The film will reimagine the plot from a teenage girl's perspective, with Easterling taking on a role inspired by Freddie Prinze Jr.'s character Zachary Seiler from the original. 
She's All That, a modern-day take on George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion and the 1964 movie's My Fair Lady, centered a popular high school jock who, after getting dubbed by his girlfriend, attempts to transform one of the school's nerdy outcasts into the next prom queen. Now, uh, perhaps the nature of my voice right there will indicate to you the very, very high level of respect I have for uh, the kind of people tasked with writing the, these things up for variety. But nevertheless, I don't know about um, pig alien or whatever. Zach Seiler had it all. How's it going, man? President of his class, captain of the team, and dating the most popular girl in school until she went on spring break. So I've been dancing for maybe five minutes, right? And that's when it happened. I'm Brock Hudson! Brock is from the real world. Like the TV show, okay? But they kicked him out of the house. My condolences go out to Zach, who got dissed and dismissed by his magically delicious girlfriend. In order to save his reputation, he's taken on an impossible bet. I'll pick the girl. And you got six weeks to turn her into the prom queen. Gentlemen, we have a winner. Hey! You call off the bet, you lose. I don't lose. So, Lanny, listen, I was wondering if maybe you'd want to embarrass me horribly in front of all these people. <laughs> so, uh, who's the lucky rebound girl? She kind of blew me off. I like her already. Was this some kind of new dork outreach program? Find out where she hangs out, what she does for fun. <laughs> don't tell me you guys are on a date. No, we're just friends. Just like Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman, you know, except for that whole hooker thing. To everyone here who matters, you're vapor. I forgot why I avoided places like this and people like you. <laughs> am I a bet? Am I a stupid bet? This is one contest you're gonna lose. You're going down, man. Check it out. Jesse, am I kissable? But now, he's about to realize that she's a whole lot more than he bargained for. She doesn't like her million-dollar makeover or her overnight popularity? What is it? That's, that's not the point, man. I cared about her. So kiss me. Why'd you really come here, Zach? I forget. So kiss me. She's all that. She's All That was an original story to me, and I stick by that. And it came along at a time when there were all kinds of original stories just like it coming out in theaters. Further, uh, Variety's really being generous in their description of the original. He doesn't get dumped by his girlfriend and then try to help some unpopular girl. He gets dumped by his girlfriend, and then his equally douchey friend bets him that he can't turn the social outcast, Rachel Lee Cook's Laney Boggs, which is apparently a name for a woman. I never questioned it because the story seemed very California-centric to me, and I thought people just named their kids shit like that out here. Uh, funnily enough, I've been here 13 years now. I have not met one Laney yet, but I do know they exist because I searched Facebook for them before this podcast, like a creep. But that aside, I can't blame the Variety writer for getting it wrong. I can only imagine they're a 17-year-old uh, currently on Molly 
and earning less money for writing the piece than Molly costs, which is the model of how most journalism works now. But anyway, this remake is all wrong. It's got its wires completely crossed because it hasn't stopped to consider the reality of what a gender swapped remake of She's All That in the year 2020 would mean. Start with the girl version of Freddie Prince Jr.'s Zack. And there are plenty of Zacks in California. To that I can attest. In the movie, he's like this jock who isn't completely terrible. Like at one point, he demonstrates that he secretly has the ability to perform interesting freestyle slam poetry. Everyone's counting on you, Zack. Sooner or later, it has to drop. But the movie turns a lot on how he does something very wrong by manipulating Lainey through entering into this bet with Paul Walker, uh, whose character's name I, I didn't bother to look up. Um, God rest his soul, Paul Walker. Uh, there's no way a movie in 2020 will paint a teenage girl with whom we are supposed to sympathize or empathize as doing something this sinister. This element is almost sure to be muffled in the remake. But the bigger problem is the boy version of Lainey. In the original, she was like this artistic girl who was like a, a freak because she wore overalls and glasses. It spawned a lot of parody, most notably 2002's Not Another Teen Movie, like the idea that you can just take off her glasses and she's secretly a beautiful girl underneath. But this is actually true. Uh, certainly was true when I went to school. There are a lot of unpopular people who physically are only aesthetically different from people who are popular, right? Um, overalls and bad glasses and a bad haircut that verges on the emo Phillips in the movie will make almost anyone less attractive. This is just reality. And if you spend all your life worried about making weird paintings designed to freak everyone out, you run the risk that it may work. And and that was true of Lainey in the movie. So I didn't find the idea that she was objectively prettier than people at school subjectively perceived her to be, to be especially unrealistic. So now you switch the genders like they're they're doing here. And herein lies the trouble. Guys who are socially excluded and spend most of their time alone are different than women who do that. Now I realize plenty of guys who are like this turn out to be very normal. I, I was once like this. Maybe not quite so isolated, but I was a social outcast who was weird looking, who had a friend group I could count on two or three fingers, right? And like I said, I, I turned out to be a fairly uninteresting normal person with a normal amount of friends and a normal life. But not all guys who are this way do emerge as normal. And how abnormal these guys turn out has really shifted here in the 21st century. It's pretty easy to think up an obvious flavor for this remake to have. So this, this popular girl, um, 
uses this outcast guy to win a bet and shatters his world, just like Lainey's world was shattered in the original when she learned the truth. Dean? What the hell are you trying to pull? Well, it's nice to see you too, brother. Did he ask you to the prom? Yes, I did. I... It's bullshit. Wait, wait, someone asking me is bullshit? I thought we were going together. All right, Zach, enough's enough. This isn't cool anymore. I like this girl, and you gotta stop this whole bet thing. Bet? Yeah, it was so stupid, Laney. Look, Zach said he can make any girl prom queen. And you were the one picked, so he thinks that if he takes you to the prom, it'll help you win. People have feelings, man. Is that true? My bet? Am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet? Yes. But in She's All That, when Lainey did learn the truth, she angrily confronted Zack and stormed out of the room. And Zack is just kind of left with his own guilt in light of the fact that he really did like Lainey once he had spent some time with her. The movie is a classic movie. Its emotional beats really land, and I suspect that if their first move is casting a TikTok star that might be less likely to be the case with this remake. But that's not my point. My point is, if you reverse the genders and you play out this confrontation with everything we know, again, in the 21st century, about these dejected, outcast teenage boys, does that scene logically end with the boy version of Lainey fleeing the room? Maybe. But probably just to go out to the parking lot to get something out of his trunk. Yeah, that's right. Now you are getting it. Uh, because in the 2020 gender-reversed version of She's All That, this character is definitely a fucking school shooter. She's All That was released on January 19th, 1999. Interestingly, January was invariably a dumping ground at that time for movies in which the studio had no faith. But I mentioned the release date for the fact that the film came out exactly 91 days before a historical event that has shaped much of the discussion about young men like this for the intervening two decades. That event was the Columbine High School Massacre, where evil teenage psychopaths Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold viciously murdered 12 of their classmates and one teacher through a tactical assault on their high school, which had 37 victims in total, including those who were merely injured by the rampage. If you're just learning about it for the first time here on the Cat Sounds podcast. Uh, anyway, these two pieces of garbage eventually turned the guns on themselves thereby robbing all those affected from ever having any notion of justice in the case. In the idiom of school shootings, this one seems noteworthy only in retrospect for being the work of two such young men. Most 
things like this since then have been of the lone nut variety. And that would be the logical conclusion of 2021's He's All That. Dejected boy Laney, Lane call him, uh, Lane Boggs, which obviously sounds like the name of somebody who would shoot up their high school, would fully murder girl Zach, uh, call her Zelda, as well as um, the other pretty terrible characters in the original movie. Uh, this time I did look it up. Uh, Paul Walker's Dean Sampson. You know, many women is lost in here. Shut up, Dean. Jody Lynn O'Keefe's, uh, who was a real smoke show, Taylor Vaughn. You didn't think you became popular for real, did you? Oh, you did. It would just be an orgy of carnage. It would be more like the gender-swapped version of Carrie, if we're being honest. We tend to call these guys incels now, involuntary celibates. I think that's wrong because at any given time, involuntary celibacy is a condition enjoyed by probably greater than half of the male population. And these shootings are still pretty rare. But everything the mass media means when they use that word, incel, would just have to apply to the male version of Laney Boggs. Again, Lane Boggs. So if movies are a heightened reality, which portray the things about life we find concerning or even morbidly interesting, in what possible movie is this guy not a school shooter type? At least a school shooter type, okay? You can do it some other way, but then it's just a completely fake world. Maybe the original existed in a fake world with no relation to our own, but when I watched She's All That as a teenager, its intended audience... The story seemed almost entirely like something that could plausibly happen, perhaps aside from the subplot where Matthew Lillard's Brock Hudson, yeah, you heard me correctly, Brock Hudson, an MTV real-world star who begins the causal chain of events by usurping Taylor Vaughn from Zack Seiler, that seemed a little unrealistic. But aside from that, this seemed like something that might happen in a real high school. And, and this problem, the school shooter problem with this remake, is really just the first problem. The idea really also fails to take into account what a gender-swapped remake of a movie that was extremely gendered will mean to a generation less invested in gender than any that has ever come before. At best, you've got a movie where the female protagonist is also, at least in the third act of the film, a villain. Which is not what is hoped for when we tend to do gender-swapped remakes, right? I don't know what high school is like today. Um, I, I barely knew at the time, um, broadly speaking, when I was a teenager, if I'm being honest. Uh, but I would venture there's more to it. In 2012... I took a trip by myself to Alaska, which is a great part of the country. If a detached one, I would definitely urge you all to go. But one thing I did on that trip was watch hotel TV. It was maybe the last time I really did that. Today, I can usually entertain myself with hotel Wi-Fi. The reason for that is that hotel cable is almost exclusively terrible. I don't watch it. I try to avoid it. Um... 
when you flip through all the channels front to back, the amount of times you're going to see that channel that's like just a commercial for the hotel you're already staying in is remarkable. You, you may end up watching it more than you do anything else. But on this trip, I was watching Hotel Cable and I watched a Disney Channel original movie. To my recollection, it's the only one I've ever seen. And it was called Geek Charming. Geek Charming of of the Disney Channel. All Dylan wanted was to be the it girl. Once I'm crowned Blossom Queen, I will be the most popular girl ever. All Josh wanted was to make movies. I want to make this documentary about high school popularity. The only problem? I want you to star in my movie for the film festival. What? Well, you'll get the picture. First, some ground rules. No filming from my left side. I need a beauty budget. Are you always this high maintenance? Get set. Geek Charming is a lot like She's All That. Uh, Maybe it's more like Can't Buy Me Love, that classic 80s movie where a creep pays a popular girl to pretend to be his girlfriend to increase his own popularity, and it does work. Um, In Geek Charming, right, this uh, nerdy kid... And I I didn't remember this extremely well, so I I was just kind of reintroduced to it on Wikipedia before I started recording the podcast. But in any case, in Geek Charming, the Disney Channel original movie, this unpopular kid rescues a popular girl's expensive purse after she drops it in a water fountain or something, and she has to agree to be the subject of his documentary or something. Um, it's not a good movie. Okay. I, I, I don't, I, I don't mention it on the podcast to recommend it to you, but the girl is played by Sarah Highland, who was on modern family. And the guy was somebody named Matt Prokop, who I, I don't recognize from anything that again is according to Wikipedia. But anyway, I had two takeaways from geek charming after watching it. Number one, the girl was impossibly grating on my nerves. Like, I just found her utterly hateable because there was seemingly no way to make a snobby, popular girl not seem overly snobby. You should have been focused on filming me instead of flirting. No, 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 no. I don't flirt. You could blame it on the actress, but I, I think that's wrong. I know I've seen her in something else and not hated her. And number two, that original problem the school shooter problem, I called it, was extremely present. Or some version of it was, at least. I just found this kid, this uh, aspiring documentary filmmaker, to be way too normal. For these two, seeing eye to eye... So populars only hang with populars. Cats don't hang with dogs, right? I have no words. ...was just the beginning. And maybe that's why I thought she was so awful, because he was just way too normal and inoffensive for her to constantly be like, ew, gross, you're such a loser, or whatever. Why is there talking nerd here? Once I'm Blossom Queen, everything will go back to the way it was. You can make him over all you want. He's still Count Dorkula. I'm not saying he has to literally be a school shooter. But there has to be something really unlikable about him, right? And that's a major difference between popular guys and popular girls. Or at least it seemed to be when, uh... I was a young man of school age. Like, the reason that he's unpopular could never just be like glasses and overalls and a bad haircut. Guys in high school are are frequently popular in spite of these reasons. You might say this is a sexist dynamic, and you're probably right. 
but that won't help the producer of this movie turn it into something that works on screen and, and seems plausible. And maybe all of it doesn't work. I'm not sure I believe kids are even bullied in high school anymore or that bullying or, or being bullied is something that most kids can relate to. It's basically a felony now for a teenager to do any number of things that Jody Lynn O'Keefe and Paul Walker, who are more appropriately the bullies of She's All That, do in that movie. To everyone here who matters, you're vapor. You're spam. A waste of perfectly good yearbook space. Hey, now, check out the bobos on Super Freak. You know, Zach, from up here, she almost looks normal. Uh, like, are teenagers of today going to see this movie and, and feel unsafe, as it is so often the case with the younger generation? Like, they, they tend to about any number of things. Will this movie necessitate an R rating because of their cruelty? But, uh, more than that, She's All That is something I remember as an important film when I was a teenager, or at least a good one. And they should leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it the fuck alone. It's mine. It belongs to me. Don't touch it. And that's really the only true part of my analysis. Um... If this announcement had been about a, a non-gender swapped remake, um, I mean, meaning just a remake where they they wanted to be exactly like the original and, and stay completely true to it. If it were basically a shot for shot remake like that one Gus Van Zant did of, of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, um, I would be complaining exactly this much. No version of this can satisfy me. And that's fine. Um, that's a good takeaway here because uh, there are too many remakes. You know what an all remake Hollywood is, which is basically the world we live in now? Even if it's not a remake of a former movie, it's still existing IP, meaning intellectual property. So, I mean, it's going to be Transformers where a toy becomes a movie or Harry Potter where it's a book and, and so on and so forth. Um there are no original ideas at the script stage, basically. And that was 15 years ago when Transformers came out. Um, and Harry Potter was kind of right in the middle of, of its sequence of films. I highly doubt Paramount would make Transformers, which at the time was based on a toy nobody had played with in 20 years that kids and young people in general at that time probably had never heard of. Um, the first Transformers movie came out in 2007. Uh, I, I played with Transformers in like 1987, right? That would be too much of an unproven concept today for a studio like Paramount to to invest so heavily. Or at least that's my guess, right? And the only exceptions to this, to this like all derivative Hollywood, are things like Christopher Nolan's Tenet, a movie I still haven't seen because I heard from New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo that I would die from coronavirus if I watched it. But anyway, the only reason Warner Brothers is willing to underwrite that expensive, high-concept movie is that Christopher Nolan is, like, himself existing IP. His name will get people into a movie theater, because arguably, he's never made a bad movie. And he's almost certainly not made a bad movie since the first Batman reboot in 2005. I even like Interstellar, which, which some people don't. He's a genre of film unto himself. There are other directors with this kind of credibility, but with, not with access to these kind of budgets. Here's one thing I can tell you. If someone manages to probably have a hit movie 
in movie theaters for the next six months. Uh, Tenet's going to be the last movie Christopher Nolan will ever get to make like that because everyone will decide that it's failure. It hasn't done very well. Was more about the film than it was about the pandemic. He'll get to work again, but it'll be another thing like Batman. It'll be existing IP that he just happens to be tasked with directing. It won't be an original concept, which, like I said, is the broad trend anyway. The movies are outright hostile to original ideas at this point, even on slim budgets, because no movie can succeed without a big marketing budget. And no theater owner will even book a movie that doesn't have a big marketing push behind it. It's a sure way to lose money on a screen that you could just as well be using to sell more showings of Avengers. So we have this bullshit. He's all that. And there will be more 90s teen comedy remakes. If this one makes any money at all, you will see like 11 things I hate about you. And always been kissed. Anti-American pie. Drive me neurotypical. So let's hope this movie fails. The TV not long ago seemed to be going in the opposite direction. What did I say? What did I tell you? It's a short thing. You talk about this crap like it's science, Tony. I lost a lot of fucking money. You didn't lose. We could have turned your bullshit into a fucking million dollars. My bullshit? The Sopranos and The Wire and things like that were original ideas, and they were different and better than what had been on TV before. Not so any longer. That was before Game of Thrones, which is a a fantasy show that despite being really well-written and constructed is like a fairly rote exercise in the genre. But more importantly, it was based on a popular series of books. HBO knew that there were people out there who would watch it or who would at least give it a chance, right? It's Harry Potter for adults. And you have to realize that um, for how much of a hit it was, HBO failed with several original concepts over the same period, right? Some of which were were pretty good. Boardwalk Empire um, failed to generate the audience the Sopranos had. Uh, Vinyl, for all the hype around it, if you remember that one, couldn't generate enough actual interest to keep it alive for more than a season. Um, Or maybe enough interest to, to be bigger than the controversy it carried with it. Smaller exercises like the deuce, while again, I I liked it a lot. Uh, It's a David Simon show, good show, guy who did The Wire, right? It was not a money-making vehicle, though in its case, HBO surely never intended a show about prostitutes and pornography during the grossest period in the history of the city of New York to be a big hit, right? But anyway, if you turn on the recently launched HBO Max right now, and see what they're selling in the area of like hour long. It's all stuff like Game of Thrones. Things that want to be Game of Thrones. Some of it more original than other of it. HBO does still have some things which are pretty original. Like Euphoria, which I'll admit I still haven't seen. Um, which is about teenagers now, I, I think. Um, but I haven't heard anyone say it's bad, right? But I still think the trend is toward these shows becoming more like movies, more existing IP. Uh, 
down to the reboots, which are coming fast and furious. And if the pandemic hadn't upended the plans, we'd have seen a Friends reunion on HBO Max by now. It was just a special. It was supposed to come on in May. But if it had been a huge hit, and and we'll see because it's still coming, um, you can expect to see more of it, right? These things are always caged in the language of limited series, but that doesn't really mean anything. Showtime is about to have a 10-episode Dexter limited series. If it's a huge hit with CBS Viacom's longer-term plan of competing with HBO Max, you can be sure it'll go beyond those 10 episodes. But I don't expect it to be a big hit. <laughs> or I or I, 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 selfishly hope it's not. I, I didn't think Dexter was that terrific. Um, you know, I, I think it was okay for like two or three years. And then it ran for like five more, which tends to be the tends to be the case with anything Showtime does well, right? Homeland, same deal. Um, still, I promise you that they're they're thinking in terms longer than 10 episodes. Uh, Watchmen on HBO was a limited series, right? And it far outperformed their expectations. Watchmen will come back. I think we'd even be able to say when by now, absent the pandemic. Damon Lindelof may or may not be involved, But the show will return, uh, especially after the social politics of this year. And it's not wrong. It's it's a good show. You know, Uh, it's not wrong for it to come back. It's it's a good show. Um, I didn't think it was a great show, but Watchmen itself um, is the worst offender of all these things. Right. It's a reboot of a superhero franchise. It's just the best possible reboot of the best possible superhero franchise. And I think anybody familiar with the original Watchmen comic knows that um, that reboot was not particularly in service uh, of the concept. Right. It it was kind of it was its own concept, um, which maybe makes it an original concept. I I guess it's it's debatable. Not that would matter, but uh, Watchmen creator Alan Moore repudiated it. Um, But that would be true of anything that HBO had done. With, with the property. Uh, if Alan Moore sees it and likes it, he'll still tell some reporter it's garbage. That's just the nature of Alan Moore. The movies From Hell, 2001. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, 2003. And V for Vendetta, 2005. Those are all adaptations of Alan Moore's work, and he hates them too. And basically since then, he hasn't allowed film adaptations of any of the work he still controls. Watchmen is the property of DC Comics, so he couldn't stop them. And Alan Moore thinks DC swindled him in the way his original contract was structured. Anyway, you cannot diminish the COVID aspect to all of this. The coronavirus has had an accelerating effect on these trends, the trend away from originality. Just like it's had on the demise of movie theaters generally, which I, I still say you're, you're going to see, right? Um, you're going to see a lot of these theaters close um, before the end of this thing. Uh, that's something I foretold on BrianMcCauley.com before the pandemic in an essay at the beginning of February. It's a shame my predictive ability is for things like that. and wasn't like um, one that would let me predict that a deadly virus would soon upend all of our lives, right? That essay 
was largely about Martin Scorsese and the Oscars, which seemed like the most important thing to be writing about to me at the particular time. Anyway, COVID is really affecting not only what movies and TV shows get made and how they're released, but much more how they are made, right? If you've been on a film set, you know it's a a short duration, it's time limited, and it brings together all kinds of strangers from all over the place, and they kind of like hurry around and trip all over each other, and largely they touch stuff. They touch all kinds of stuff. They just touch stuff all day long. And they touch stuff that other people have just been touching. So that it can be ready for yet other people to then touch it. And and fuck, they're all breathing, right? Breathing all over each other. Now, circumstances vary, and, and often this all goes on outdoors. But when it doesn't, like if you're on a soundstage, ventilation is not great. Because sound has to be artificially limited, right? And soundproofing things basically amounts to airproofing them very often. But yeah, uh, I mean, the point of all of this, there's a lot of room for, you know, germs, 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 germs. So, you know, apparently they are trying to manage this with strict protocols for testing and lots of disinfecting surfaces and shit. My school, where I studied the law, is presently trying to navigate this as well. But a school is a fairly orderly environment. You can figure out what you need to disinfect and do it on a schedule. Now, that's one thing I'll largely say right now. Seems like it's worthless, right? That all the disinfecting. The consensus is, and it's a growing one, that nobody is really catching COVID-19 because they touched anything. But nevertheless, after the obsession with like hand sanitizer and washing your hands in March, society seems totally committed to the importance of disinfecting various objects. But anyway, all of this is a lot harder to do on a film set. It is not an orderly, predictable environment like a school. A film set is a place where the whole lay of the land can change day to day. And I say that not based on something I've heard. It's just what I imagine to be the case, having been on a handful of film sets when I was a younger man, right? And obviously, uh, this shit is pricey because you definitely need to hire someone to devise a whole plan for you in terms of how to do this and hire somebody else, or I I guess maybe hire the same person. And it's an all in one operation to execute that plan. But in any event, people who are in showbiz aren't in showbiz because they're just as qualified and trained for the epidemiology business. Here's one thing that I did hear. I heard somebody say without sourcing, but I, I don't have any reason to question the claim that this is adding a cost of $200,000 to TV episodes. That is no joke. That means a 10-episode series like Watchmen was or like uh, this forthcoming Dexter limited series will be is going to cost $2 million more than you had planned, right? Uh, that, That sort of incentivizes doing Dexter again, a show that was on TV and relatively popular for years. Um, 
that that's sort of more of a reason to spend the extra two million dollars than um you know something that, that nobody's ever heard of and perhaps nobody will watch right uh, TV production costs millions of dollars anyway, as a matter of course, but their budgets are very tight, right? The margins are calculated exactly and all the deals in place are based on the world as we knew it when those deals were made, uh, which was before the pandemic in many cases. And nobody wants to take a pay cut at any point in this assembly line, be it the people who plan the movies, the people who shoot the movies, the people who market the movies, or the people who show the movies, because all those people are already getting less money this year, no matter what, because of the losses from the shutdowns. And that's part of the problem with um, the size of some of these companies, right? Uh, pretty much any of the big players in entertainment are, are diversified enough um, that there's no way that they haven't lost money in the midst of all this, right? Um, you know, a company like Disney, they're, they're taking losses from not only the fact that their theater lineup for this year, the movies they were going to release directly to theaters, took a huge hit. Um, also, their theme parks are closed, right? Uh, presumably, they're doing well with Disney+. Plus. A, a ton of people have signed up for it. And certainly a lot of people are watching it, especially when they can't go to Disneyland or um, or go see a Disney movie in a theater. Um, but again, like that's a publicly traded company. Their margins are relatively tight for everything to be at all viable. Things have to go according to plan. And obviously there was no plan to shut everything down this year. The exception to these kind of critiques is possibly like Netflix who had a tremendous amount of new signups and, and everything because of the pandemic. Uh, and they're, they're not exposed in the theaters or with their theme parks or whatever. Um, but even them, you know, they're, they're facing kind of a content crunch um, from the shutdowns. They, they were limited in, in what kind of new content they could be making um, as well as um, now that, these productions are kind of resuming the added cost of, like I said, I heard $200,000 an episode. Um, but no matter what, you know, it, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, it's not free. Um, and that's for uh, scripted TV, at least, right? Reality TV, like it always has been, is probably going to be cheaper. If you're just out observing people in the world um, or, or pretending to, despite the fact that reality shows have fucking writers. But anyway, uh, this is like the kind of gorilla shit of like following people around with cameras in, in regular places. Well, there's less shit that's going to be your responsibility to disinfect, um, to put it plainly, right? Uh, so if you follow somebody to a restaurant, um, that restaurant is effectively responsible for whatever their protocols are. Uh, and, and, and hopefully that would mitigate, uh, some of the costs as these, um, scripted productions will have to incur. So, um, as much as it makes me wish a deadly virus would just take my life right now, we're probably going to see more reality TV than ever before. 
um, across the full spectrum of reality, you know, uh, of things which are unscripted. So more Kardashians. Yeah. But also more like singing shows um, and more Datelines, which will probably be fine because I bet more people than usual are out there murdering their spouses right now. Uh, but also more news, you know, if you want to call it that. More like frivolous commentary shows, more town halls with politicians giving canned lines because people like um, Trump or Joe Biden are going to travel with their own plans about how to stay safe and socially distant or lack of plans um, as the reports about how Trump caught the disease show. But anyway, um, the Secret Service in, in those cases picks up the cost, right? Or the government in general. Um, there's no way that the government is going to pick up the bill to clean all the props for an episode of Stranger Things. And thank God, because that would be an immediate cause for a taxpayer revolt and possibly a second revolutionary war, given how much that show fell apart in its third season. Um, if you disagree, remember, you can always call the Cat Sounds hotline at um, 949-484-9724 and leave your message about why Stranger Things is great and I'm an idiot. But anyway, um, it also should not surprise you just how many shows have been canceled this year, even things that had already been renewed, right, that we're expecting to come back. The COVID hangover is really affecting the decision trees for the people who run networks and streaming services and make these decisions, right? Uh, Glow, if you're familiar with that, it's a show about women's wrestling in the 80s with Alison Brie and Mark Marin on Netflix. That's gone. Um, that is canceled. They will not get their promised fourth season. I could tell you why I think that show wasn't especially strong in its latest season, but um, I would have watched another, right? I uh, would have watched it sooner than I'll watch any of this like reality garbage that will probably appear in its place. Um, I heard that one was especially tricky because you have people like violently touching each other. It's about wrestling and, you know, they're like breathing on each other all the time. But a good reason you should check out the show if you haven't already. But in any case, it is now capped in time. The whole glow story is is the story that exists in those three seasons. There's a Wikipedia article now called um, List of American Television Series Impacted by the COVID-19 Pandemic. I would recommend you at least take a glance at that. I will drop a link in the show notes. There's a list of canceled ones on there that I think is not complete, but it stands at 12 as of uh, this recording, including Netflix's Messiah, which everyone talked about in January when it premiered, but was a, a big show with a lot of moving parts. They, they shot that show all over the world, um, and probably it's not suited to the reality of these new COVID precautions. Um I mentioned last week in the show on Becoming a God in Central Florida. That is also on the list. That's a show that was supposed to come back and then they changed their mind in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. But my guess is uh, that list is not going to stop at 12. It will grow and grow. I'm sure it'll be in the double digits by the end of the year. 
we are just getting warmed up. There are plenty where they just got a general cancellation, right? Um, like Showtime's Penny Dreadful City of Angels. They didn't say it was because of the pandemic. Um, clearly, that was an act of mercy because that show was garbage. But you wonder, um, usually it's not that hard to get a second season on Showtime. You wonder if that would have happened absent the pandemic. I, I think there's a good chance it would have come back. So what is the conclusion? What do you want to make of this rant? Um, I think traditional showbiz could very well die under the weight of all this. The fact is that there are a lot of people running around making shorts for YouTube who had a hard time breaking out and getting noticed before all this, right? But those people sometimes make shit worth watching, you know, not often, or maybe I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen everything worth watching. Um, but now, you know, beyond that, they have a sudden advantage. Many of them do not give a shit about being COVID ready, right? Um, the fact is you can't sue these people. You can try and you might even win, right? But they don't have any money. So, you know, they don't have the incentive to go out and do everything they need to do to prevent the worst from happening. Like Universal Pictures, right? Um, which is part of NBC Universal. It's a huge multinational conglomerate. The right lawsuit could take um, that whole big swath of land that they own up there in the valley. Uh, the right judgment against them could really, really eat a lot of that company, right? If they if they get enough people sick, if they, they cause enough harm from not being careful enough. And, you know, it should be noted uh that amid the stalled, the stalled COVID relief in um, the Congress of the United States right now, uh, one of the contested issues was that the Republicans want um, basically a waiver of liability for COVID claims, um, like full stop, right? So that uh, you can't sue somebody for getting you sick with it. That's one of the things holding up the bill. The Democrats don't want to do that. Um you know, I'll be fair. The Democrats want things that the Republicans will not agree to either. Um, but as long as that's the case, as long as there's no waiver like that, everybody is going to kind of be in fear that um, that they could be held civilly liable for letting somebody, some people, some maybe even a large group of people get very sick or, or even die right from from all of this. Um so uh, this is all like serious stuff that YouTubers do not have to worry about or podcasters for that reason. Right. Um, I, I, I don't have guests on cat sounds. Right. But if I did, like, would I, would I be careful? I'd be kind of careful. Uh, <laughs> um, I'd wear a mask. Like I'd wear a mask. I'd expect them to wear a mask when they got here. Right. And then we would just take off the masks and breathe all over each other. That, that would be my approach to it. Because, like, I mean, you could sue me, right? Um, but you're basically, you're going to get, um, like, my my two Buicks, which have a combined worth of, like, $5,000. Um, I, I am effectively judgment-proof at this time in my life, right? Um, so you'd basically really have to settle with me, again, for, like, two Buicks. Um, and I probably would only be willing to part with one. I'd, I'd give you some of the cassettes, the records too. Maybe, maybe. Not the ones I really like. Um, 
And, you know, another big pressure on uh, the studios and the production companies and everything is uh, the unions, right? Like the guilds um, who are demanding compliance with a, a lot of safety protocols. Um, and YouTubers could give less of a shit about that. They will, um, they might make a show of washing and disinfecting their hands in one of their videos and then just go on like they always have, right? They won't really be worried about it. Um, these YouTubers and, and just people who, who don't have a lot to lose have a definite tactical advantage over their powerful adversaries in the war for screen attention, right? And maybe a lot of younger people who hear this or, or who might hear this probably don't hear this. I don't think anybody, especially young out of the five people I, I know, who are the only people who listen to cat sounds. Um, I don't think any of them are, are like really young, but I think it, if a hypothetical young person were to hear me say all this, maybe they would just think I'm ridiculous anyway to even concern myself with this. The fate of like traditional show business. Um, they think what's happening on TikTok is the future. Um, and that like the whole of the future entertainment product looks like that not like a scripted, overproduced, grandiose movie or TV show. And fuck, they're probably right, you know? Um, but if I have to die on a hill, this seems like a good hill to die on. I'll take it. I'm just going to keep talking about things like this. So um, no matter what important things happened on TikTok this week, I make a point not to give a shit or know about them. The most important thing to be talking about right now is um the legacy of She's All That. This is my podcast, and I will talk about what I want to. Like I have said before... Courtney, this is not a democracy. It's a cheerocracy. I'm sorry, but I'm overruling you. Cat Sounds is a cheerocracy, and I am the cheer-tater. Um, bring it on. Another movie they, they could do a gender-swapped or, or otherwise um, modern remake of, right? But let's hope not... Uh, Anyway, I'm going to pause there. This has been an especially long episode. But that's it. You're done. That's our show for the week. Our music is Matza by Frogbelly and Symphony. Please check them out on Bandcamp and at frogbellyandsymphony.com. You can always leave your comments, concerns, or complaints. Uh, I said a lot of stuff this week. You might think I'm a real jerk. Why don't you tell me? Give me a call on the Cat Sounds 24-hour voicemail hotline. That's 949-484-9724. You can call 24 hours a day and leave a voicemail. Um, or if you're some little TikTok jerk-off, you can text it. Uh, does that feel safer for you? If you're that frivolous, text it. 949-484-9724. And I'll read it on the show. A voicemail that I will play. So take care of yourself and have a happy and safe Halloween on Zoom. I'm going as Fred Durst this year from Limp Biscuit and wondering if anyone in my normal Zoom meetings will realize it. Um, I'm just going to wear a, a hat backwards, a, a red one, uh, and a t-shirt, a black t-shirt. We'll see. So stay rad, be well, live long, and prosper. Good night, ladies and gentlemen.